Hey, just quickly before we start today's pod, I just launched my new course, Unleash Your Potential, which is happening in early January. This is for aspiring professional rugby players. I'll be teaching you strategies and frameworks used by the world's best, and in it you will learn how to consistently perform at your very best while enjoying it more than you ever have. There's limited spaces in the course and you can enroll now through the link in the podcast description. Dan Carter said recently, at the start of my career, people would think there was something wrong with you if you were getting help from the team psychologist. By the end of my career, they'd think there was something wrong with you if you weren't. These are the ones that are more diagnosed ADHD, dyslexia. They're really good at their spatial ability. You know, like they can move around and they're really sure on their feet. They're probably in the A netball team or... Our neurodivergent people are very, very bright, very clever in a different way. And that person isn't happy in themselves. They're not, they're not having a great time while they're holding court or taking over the class. There's an anxiety in it. Anti-authoritarian. They will not yes. be told. They're self-learners. Yes. They will learn for themselves. And I'm fascinated by how many adults are now going, I actually, like you, I think I, think I might be neurodivergent because I get, I get what this is. Hey, I hope you're keeping well. I'm Brian Moylet, former rugby player, now mindset and performance coach. And welcome to the pod. This podcast is about well-being and high performance. And in it, you will learn how you can be happier, more fulfilled, and more successful. I recently wrote the book on how to become a pro rugby player, forward by Robbie Henshaw, which went to number one in the charts, and you can get this now on Amazon and Audible, with the links in the show notes. Please connect me now over on social media, at Brian Moylet and at Offfield Rugby. If you enjoyed the pod, please subscribe to it, leave a rating and review wherever you're listening now, and also, you can send it on to some friends. Would really appreciate that. All right, we'll get into today's episode. Cheers. Today, I'm joined with Susan Haldane from Mind Over Manor, whose purpose is to reframe perspective and regenerate a new relationship to neurodiversity. So, cheers for jumping on, Susan. I suppose to start, chat with me about your history with neurodiversity. Well, I think my history with neurodiversity has been going a lot longer than what I ever imagined. My first history was my really interesting musical uncle who had autism. And um, as a child, I used to find him fascinating as he had communication with us about every classical concert he'd seen and who was playing and who was conducting. And I used to find him a little bit scary, but quite fascinating. Over the years, I think that um, I I didn't really know much more about it. But when I think back into my classroom or whatever, I go, boy, yeah, there was a person who was neurodivergent. And that was a person who was neurodivergent. Or that person that got in lots of trouble would have been neurodivergent. I get it now. And um, then when I had my own family, I um, it came into my family with... Um, with my children and what happened for me was I realized that 
the school shape. As soon as my son was old enough to go to school, things became very, very difficult. And through that, I um, changed um, a lot of my perception about what was happening um, in schools. And I'd love to talk into some of the stuff there around time and around some of the differences in the way that um, these kids operate or how they run. And um, yeah, so for me, um, when I got to a point when it got to the teenage years, it got really, really difficult. And that was a point where I went, I'm going to use the abilities that I have as an actor and as a theatre director, and I'm going to create a live program for other people like myself because I'd had a point, I just didn't know what to do next. I was in a situation where I was completely, um, I, I was stuck. And I remember a friend saying to me, you've got to make a plan. And I went, yeah, but what? And I didn't have a plan. And also I found the mental health services weren't appropriate because my son didn't have a mental health problem. He had discomfort in that he wasn't fitting in, but he certainly didn't have a mental health problem, but he had anxiety as a result of how people were responding to his beautiful and creative and interesting difference. So um, the whole thing that Mind Over Manor does is we use actors. I use a team of actors, and with them and myself as a facilitator, we speak to an audience that wants to know or who is alongside a person who's neurodivergent and goes, I don't know what to do next with this kid. And so many of our young people are sitting in that space. And when I say space, I go in their own space and time, which there is a word derived by Kiri Opai now called takiwatanga, which means in their own time and space. And this word didn't come along for me for quite some time. But I, when I came across that word, I went, ah, I'm jumping into that. That's the definition that feels appropriate for what's happening for us. And it's taken it out of disability, deficit, dysfunction. Um, you know, all of these words that sit in disorders, um, which... I do believe there are difficulties around neurodiversity in our westernised world that sits on a linear timeline, but I would say most definitely that if we change that up or reframe into responding to a different type of learning or a different type of sensory processing, we're going to go, hang on a minute, these kids have so much to offer, and I'm talking about kids at this point, but I say everybody who is neurodivergent. Um, the work that I do um, using actors, I'd done that before. I'd worked in Parimarimu uh, Maximum Security Prison. We'd go in there and we would use a team of actors and work into, um, you know, creating social solutions or working into anger management or whatever. So I use that model and transferred it out into mind over manner and quite liked having manner in that so often we say mind your manners or do this this way and that whole thing of fitting into a social context of what's expected and straight up these guys won't do what's expected 
they will respond to their world according to the levels that the sensory information is coming to them or whatever. I think I became a bit um, obsessive because if you've got a child that's not sitting comfortably in the world, it's instinctive to to work with that and make a difference and try and find a way. And I think back in time, I really looked at wanting him to fit in, wanting him to be like the other kids, um, wanting everything to be smooth and okay and no stand-up. Um, and that has massively changed over the years. Um, I have definitely moved into... No, no, this is good. What did he say just then? That was amazing. Oh, that's truthful. That's that's the fact. You know, he's right, <laughs> you know, as he would observe a situation. And um, you know, I think I think the our neurodivergent people have a lot to offer in terms of helping us reframe out of what I would say is a, a current social crisis um, in our world, the way that we're all operating and going way too fast and, you know, all of those things. So, yeah, I'm. that's sort of been a, a different passage for me. And now I would say, let's work into what, what has been offered. What is the new thinking here? What are they discarding as not being valid or appropriate and why? So, yeah, it raises those questions for me. So when you, I suppose, started looking into this or over the time in which you have looked into it, what would a typical neurodivergent person be? So say for people listening in who may have heard of this but don't really know what it is, like what, how does a neurodivergent person present themselves? Yeah, really good question because there is no one neurodivergent person that that looks like another but there are certain factors that can depict ah there's a neurodiversity there one of them is the sensory processing um, sensory processing can be can come in to a person really really the modulation's way too high it's like having the music way too loud and for everybody else, the sensory information's sitting at a normal and comfortable rate. And when I say normal, you know, say we've just got baseline. But what happens for a person who is neurodivergent is the modulation can be out, which means that someone can be going, oh my gosh, the, there's just way too many people coming towards me and I can't, I can't stand it and, and they're too fast and my, my mind can't absorb it all or it might be those lights are flickering or it might be I can't look at the colour orange or it might be, you know, um, a person with auditory can't cope with figure and ground, like there might be a dog barking in the background and it'll be freaking that person out because they can't hear what you're saying. They can go, I hear what you're saying, but I can't hear you. And so that can become incredibly difficult and uncomfortable for a person. Same with certain washing powders on clothes. The sensitivity is such that that person will just pick that up and be going, I I'm not wearing that shirt. I won't wear it. So 
if it's a that's called an over-responder, and that can make a person look really oppositional or rude, or or it can make them be shut down or confused, but it's a type of overwhelm or anxiety. But that's only one of them. There's also an under-responder, which is, um, you know, the person that's going, uh, they won't smell the toast when it's burning. It just goes past their radar. They're not getting enough stimulus. And that's a really interesting one because they often get lost and go, um, I'm meant to be going to the library, but um, I'm just not sure if it's that way or or that way. I, I usually follow Ashley, but she's not here today, so I don't really know where I'm going, that kind of thing. Um, that whole under the radar, really hard to wake up, you know, hard to get ready to get out the door. And then there's the sensory seeker, which is just, these are the ones that are more diagnosed ADHD, dyslexia. They're really good at their spatial ability. You know, like they can move around and they're really sure on their feet. They're probably in the A netball team or whatever. And they are super, super great at um, um, at being on their feet in the moment. Um, they're really gregarious. They make lots of friends, but they have a problem with they just need more and more sensation. And if they need more and more sensation, that can trip them up because um, it is it can get them into trouble, you know. It can be hard. So that's, you know, the whole modulation can be really different. And what's fascinating about that is that there can be a person that goes through all those three states in one day. So that's one thing. But there's just a lot of things about a person who, when I say um, a neurodivergent person, I'm just aware as I'm talking to you now that they're another type of person. You know, you've got neurotypical and you've got neurodivergent. But neurodivergent can be anything within that. They think in pictures a lot of the time. So they'll read factual books, really into factual books, love getting all the detail and information. But if you try to, um, if they try to read a, a visual book, they can get, um, I mean, a, a story, a novel. It can be hard for them to read those sorts of books. They don't like it so much, but they're visual, they're spatial. They, they would probably be really good at drawing or architecture or dancing or you know sport but the um, thinking in pictures is it can be very difficult with the English language and the English language is hard because if you think in pictures and someone says well he's flying close to the sun well someone's going what they're not even in an airplane or they'll take it literally or the other thing pull your socks up but I'm in bare feet that kind of misinterpretation in the English language. It can be very difficult for a person because they've got to process out of their pictures into what's been said. And by then they've kind of missed the answer time that might be happening in a classroom. And then it seems like they're just not getting it or they're not onto it. And 
um, our neurodivergent people are very, very bright, very clever in a different way. Yeah, really interesting. A lot of that, uh, the different things you're saying there. And I just thinking about myself, like I was saying to you before we came on, like just listening to different people over the last couple of years, I believe that I am neurodivergent and the overwhelm or the sensory overwhelm is yeah so true and I find I don't pretty much don't drink alcohol anymore but when I was younger I would have drank a lot and like any other well like any other young person in Ireland really but and gone into bars and nightclubs and all that and big crowds and no issue but then when I stopped drinking I find say big large rooms where everyone's walking around quite overwhelming and I thought mm. when I stopped drinking that it was because I was very introverted, but it's not really. So what I found then though, and this is like a coach rugby. So this is like every Saturday after a rugby match really. But what I do, if I just ch chat to one or two people and I can chat to one or two people 10 times, but that's what I enjoy. So, or that's what I'm comfortable about. Whereas I don't know if I'm in the middle of, yeah, lots of, that it's kind of like yeah just overwhelming i don't enjoy it and another way that plays out is if i get like a document with loads of information and stuff i'm just like oh just let's talk about it you know like just like, tell me what's in it and now this brings you there's a couple of things there in the response to you because that social engagement you know is People just go into a shutdown and overwhelm, and that would I would say is what happens when a child starts school, or when someone goes into a crowded room. They just can't do it. It's it's too much information, and also just all the cues and the the hilarity, and what's happening is people are drinking. It's so easy to end up being over here, being an objective observer to that, but you're not in it or part of it. It's a funny kind of separation that happens. I I um I fully get that. You know, I was a student in Dunedin um, for for a year, and I I just I couldn't do that culture. I I don't mind. I can have a drink. It's not that. It's like I it became senseless to me. A whole heap of people standing around in that crowded because I wasn't having a conversation that necessarily engaged me so I'd get a bit lost it wasn't it wasn't uh oh they're drinking they shouldn't be doing it wasn't anything like that it was more feeling socially uncomfortable with not being able to find my my wavelength with the people I also think um a thing that can be really really tricky with the the changeover or the overwhelm that happens is that it can lead to people having um, and I'm not talking about you in this instance here. I'm just saying often it can lead to a person becoming confused or overwhelmed but shut down, or they can be quite rude or abrupt to a person when they're going into overload. Um, and, and that will often happen with the person who is what we call the over-responder, the person where everything's coming at them too much. There's other senses as well. You know, there's the proprioceptive sense. That's the, the muscle tone in your body. And for some people, that doesn't engage. So they can't catch a ball. 
and this sits more in the, it used to be called Asperger's, they don't use that terminology, but within autism and OCD, trying to catch a ball can be very difficult or ride a bike. And it's the two hemispheres aren't crossing over and getting their messages from one side of the hemisphere to the other. So for some neurodivergent people, they might need to, say, pick up pick up their hairbrush, but they can't pick up their hairbrush just using their their fingers and their, their hand. It's almost like they need their whole body to pick it up because they're not getting the crossover in the same way. There's so much information to understand, but also there's another one, which is the vestibular sense, and that's the sense of your body in space. So a person, if they're in the dark, we all know what this might feel like, is that you in the dark, you might not know where your body is in space. But for some people, that's more so. They might, you know, if they stood up in a tent in the dark and there's no torch, that they might tip over, grab the pole and fall over. You know, it's that kind of thing. There's other, there's some other. So, you know, the sensory thing, it creates a need because that person will get a need which is, I need to get outside or I I need to make a noise. So when something overwhelms them, it might be the smell of fish cooking. They might need to go, ah, ah. you know, they have a bodily response that creates something that when other people look at them and they're going ah, like that, people think they're weird or strange. So some of the work that I really do with our audiences, which are, you know, people in social justice system, education, health, Fano, you know, we go right across the board and work with all people who run museums and libraries, all sorts of places. We, I really try and help people understand what a sensory difference might be, what it might feel like. And that feeling of panic. And, you know, like an example, you might have an example of something sensory that really might bother you. Like um, here I'm talking about if someone came up to me now looking over my shoulder to look at some photographs on the computer, they might chew in my ear and it would make me go, oh, just move away, go away, you know. But for me, I might go, I need to leave the room or I need to step away and get some space or, you know. Yeah, it's so funny. Uh, Sorry. Do you have any of those? Yeah, just when you're saying that, there's like two things I used to hate and people, it was people eating loud. Like when I was in school, um, people, I would get, I would have to get up and leave the table or I wouldn't sit with certain people because I just couldn't deal with it. I couldn't deal with it. Like it was too much. And it's hard to explain. Like I would say to my my friends and they'd be like, oh, that's kind of made out like, oh, everyone has these one or two things they don't like. You know, that's the way it was made out. But I was just like, I can't stand when people do that. And another one was actually people re- looking over my shoulder. So we used to get newspapers in school and I used to enjoy reading the newspaper at lunchtime. This is <laughs> 15 years ago when people read newspapers. But if someone... It was kind of a thing we'd be in the concourse and people would kind of peer in over and like if someone did that to me i'd change the page very quickly and hope that they would stop and then and then change the page disengage again. yeah and then i would if they just stayed i would get up and leave and walk away and another one that's really interesting you say there about 
wanting to move or be outside you said something like you mentioned sport and so like I hated being in a classroom unless I was chatting with my friends and having a bit of fun but like the idea of sitting down for hours upon end listening to someone you know talk who I wasn't 100% engaged with so don't get me wrong I actually I've been to seminars when like I'm so enthralled by what they're saying and I can sit there for hours but like in school from the age of I remember from like when I was about seven I remember first class second class being at a table on my own at the back because I would just be chatting to my friend I would just be chatting all the time like I had no interest in engaging in the stuff they were talking about you know and then I remember as well as I got older like sitting in there and just looking outside I remember like sitting there looking outside at the playing fields and just like wishing wishing that I could be out there and just waiting and looking at the clock until the clock would hit lunchtime and I could get out there and then as I became older and I left school I got the same thing in offices I went into an office and I remember sitting there and thinking that this is like prison and I remember thinking oh is this what you're meant to do like everyone says you get a job and you work a job and then you work there for 35 40 years is this it (laughs) I swear to god exactly what you said I remember thinking is this it and I remember just being like well fuck if this is it yeah like fuck you can forget it I'm not doing this shit I'll tell you something I was just so lucky. I'll, I, I'll I just say a... that whole thing, you're pulling me into the sensory. So you're getting a sense that I need to move my body as your need. So if I'm working with a group of people, I'll say, so this guy would have had, I need to move my body. And what that is then is we move into what is your code for that? A non-verbal code to the teacher is I need to actually move and go outside. So when we go and do a workshop, we have a character called Dre who presents himself. He comes in, he's, and I'm not saying this is you, and it doesn't matter if it was, but he is in a onesie, an elephant onesie. He's coming no, late to class, me. and he's massively being the class clown, holding the space, interrupting the class, telling the teacher she's got it wrong, actually. She's got her whole dinosaur, you know, the whole era. She's got it, she's got her dates wrong. They've got new discovery now. They know new information. He knows best, but in a way where he's acting like the funny guy or the gregarious guy. And this may not have been you. I'm not saying you it doesn't even matter if you did, but what we depict is that person that's often up there really taking over is hyperactive. They overheat. The physical body of a person who's a sensory seeker is that they overheat quicker than other people and they don't have the same cool-down process in their body. So they need cool-down time. If they arrive to school late, then they need their cool-down. They need to go over the side, get some popcorn, Just get, you know, something that's going to, you know, pull them down a bit, get some water going. And that gives them their social cool down time as well. Then come into the space because they've had time to orientate. The other one is, um, and you have this thing around um, when a person's often taking up all that space as well. And it sounds like you were more at the back of the classroom, and I'll talk about that in a minute. But the one that's up the front being, you know, the smart guy, we call him the jester. It's a survival response. 
because he's not settled. And that person isn't happy in themselves. They're not, they're not having a great time while they're holding court or taking over the class. There's an anxiety in it. There's a neediness in it because they're not comfortable in themselves because they, they probably haven't eaten and that means their blood sugar's low. There's all these things because the sensory seeker is in the now and the not now and they don't sit on the timeline in the same way. As you said, it took so long and you're looking at the clock and my son, I'd say, how was school? He'd go, oh, it just took so long. <laughs> and the thing is, is we're on this westernized timeline that's past, present, future, shoving us into a propulsion through the day. We've done this, we've achieved that. Now we have to do this and achieve that. Get up, get your breakfast, seven o'clock when you're not hungry, get on the bus, get to school, do, 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 do the day. Get to the end of the day, and this happens in the workforce as well, and you've got your outcomes. But actually, what have you really gained in that day other than a whole series of anxiety for a person who's a sensory seeker? Because that's not the way they learn. And if we look at, I, I read quite a bit around Gabor Mate, and he speaks about, um, he speaks about um, the now and the not now of a person who's a sensory seeker. So these are your dyslexic, um, ADHD, often bipolar, oppositional defiant disorder. Um, and, you know, and he'll just, he just says they don't, their short-term memory isn't activated in the same way. Now, when I found this out, I thought this was fascinating because it helped me understand that moment of when you give someone a series of instructions and they start and they get halfway through the first thing, like, you, okay, so what I need you to do is I want you to wipe down the bench when you finished your sandwich and then could you put the rubbish out and don't forget your bag and don't forget to clean your teeth before you leave the house. That person's only just going to get halfway through the wipe down the what? And then they've gone off track and they're not with you. And so for a sensory seeker, trying to get a person to do all of those events is just overwhelm. You can do visual coding and stuff, but it also shows how they don't have a sense of causality. Because if they don't see on the timeline and sit on the, that series of events and they're just in the now and the not now, they don't have, if I do this, then this will happen. The outcome will be this. So if I leave my shoes outside and it rains, they'll be wet and I won't be able to wear them tomorrow. Simple as. The shoes will just be out. Ah, oh, shoot, my shoes are wet. Ah, oh, what am I going to wear? You know, those moments just come along. So the time thing is very interesting because also another one is they interrupt each other the whole time because they worry they're going to forget what they're going to say and another one too is that straight up there's no filter they just speak a truth so they'll just go hey why is your hair so weird you should actually dye your roots because actually they're showing through and it doesn't look you know they'll just say straight up what's happening mm, yeah a lot of interesting things there and and, you know, you say, why am I having to learn this stuff? Anti-authoritarian. They will not yes. be told. They're self-learners. Yes. They will learn for themselves. 
They do not want anyone to tell them what they're going to learn about. They want to learn what they'll, as you say, you pick some, if you're interested, no problem with learning. Yeah. 100%. But it's that they don't want someone to boss them around. Yeah, 100%. And I wasn't, I know exactly what you're saying, the class clown, the jester, like, I know those, I remember my friends. We all those, remember yeah, them. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I was very, um, I didn't want to be the center of attention either. I've, you know, I I don't know. That's a different part of my personality. Like, I didn't want to be that. But I was smart. Like, I would yeah. take the piss and I would just make smart comments and things, like, make people laugh that way and, like, just say certain things. And because I wasn't engaging in the class, so I'd just be sitting there observing, chilling. And I was always very well, lucky or unlucky in that I got good grades. So it seemed to be, it seemed to be the lads who didn't get good grades who were not engaging. That got that got more pulled up, I think. But yeah, it's. I think you're saying a very interesting thing there, because you're really talking about there's a fork in the road for the neurodivergent person in terms of how they engage in learning. And you were able to decide, well, you got it. You probably had that down pat yeah. and you're quick. So you got the learning and then you were able to go, yeah, yeah, I got that. You probably, I don't know whether you needed to do your homework or whether you needed to apply yourself any further or you just could wing it and get through. But then if you look at 80% of our young male incarcerated at the moment, it is thought that 80% of them are diagnosed ADHD. So what we get is that in that fork in the road, we get the ones that jump off and they're probably the class clown or they're probably just they're not able to assimilate it because they can't get ordered and they can't get organized because it sounds like you probably flick between the two where you're the over responder and everything's just too much, but you also are in your, you know, your vestibular sense is really important so that you need to move your body and you need to be in motion. Deepak Chopra speaks about motion and that everybody has a different, in their DNA, a different time cycle and that they need to, um, one person might be, um, have a, you know, like a cricket might hatch and it might have a 40 second sort of chirrup sound. Whereas another cricket might hatch and have 30 seconds that we have all have our own time mm. cycles, but also speaking into how stillness happens, like for some people to be still is their still point, you know, it's their calm, I'm centered in myself point. But for another person, actually being in movement can actually bring the still point. Like for my husband, being on a fishing boat, and it's not just because he's fishing, <laughs> but just being in the motion of the boat, he says that's when he feels really still in himself. He's not, he's not hyperactive. It's an interesting thing. Swiss ball, sitting on a Swiss ball brings that, which helps that person actually equalize into being still in themselves so funny it's starting to come across but I my whole life growing up was kicking a ball passing a ball like I just played I was played every sport I could because I loved it and uh, probably many other reasons like I was you know I, I just loved it was good at it and um 
then nowadays I'm not playing anymore. But when I was younger, I'd always have a, a rugby ball in my hands. But now if I go for a walk, I have tennis balls around. So I'll bring a tennis ball with me and I just bounce it. Or I bring a rugby yeah. ball with me and I just go hand to hand. And when I walk, like I can't, it's just not as comfortable walking with my hands in my pockets or my hands by my yeah. side. I am way more comfortable bouncing the tennis ball, bouncing off trees, off walls and all that stuff. And that's interesting that you say that because that's, yeah, I know exactly what your husband says or his feeling with the boat. Yeah. That's my equivalent. And my grandson, he's just got a soccer ball. He's just all the time. He's just on that. So if they go, if his parents go to a restaurant and he was he was offshore, they just made him a, a paper ball oh, so yeah. that he could just be in action, you know. I... I think it's an interesting, it brings me into the spatial awareness um, and the sureness on the feet and the people, because in neurodiversity, it goes right across the board. There are some people that, that can't coordinate. They can't get on onto an escalator. They can't go through the revolving door at the museum, you know, and then, and that's at one end of a bell curve here. This is the over-responder at this side, but on that whole bell curve here, along here, this is where the, you have the one that's really engaged in their body. And this is what I'm saying. You can't describe a person, uh, a neurodivergent person, in any one way. But what I'm interested in is see this bell curve here, and we've got these two different types of responders here. It's creeping up the sides now. And what I'm interested in that is the anxiety that we see at either side here as these people don't fit into what's normal or neurotypical at the top. Mm. As the anxiety is creeping up with so many of our young people, or I could just generally say so many of our people, up the sides here, these anxieties are showing very similar behaviours or responses, you know, like the confused, the shut down, the rude, the oppositional, or, you know, just people that won't come out of their room for two weeks, you know, that kind of thing is happening a lot. But if, if you look at that, these people haven't got diagnoses. And what it makes me realise is it's the social response to the behaviour is making those people kick into It's the anxiety that is making these behaviours happen. So if we were to able to get back down to these differences here and take out those what creates those anxieties and simplify so that they're off that, off that, I'm really on this, this thing about the timeline and get them off having to conform to a shape that's being designed that doesn't fit many of our active or creative people. Then I reckon we could pull that anxiety right down. If we made some other shapes for learning outside of the school shape outside and same with the workplace and I think that's coming you know none of us enjoyed COVID but I think COVID's brought a few things and um, a few new things to us in our understanding about how we can reframe out of how it was and recreate because people have activated into hang on a minute <laughs> During that time, I actually remembered that I really love growing my own food or I've remembered that I really love painting or I've started making a such and such 
Or, you know, I got to play with my kids. And that's right, I, I used to play football myself. You know, I'm back in it. You know, some things have reactivated and I'm kind of keen on the changes or I'm wanting to be keen on the changes so that we can start to unravel what our neurodivergent people won't put up with. They will not jump through a hoop. If you want someone to jump through a hoop, they'll go, nah, what do you want me to jump through that for and why? But I don't care about that, so why would I? And you know how I said that short-term memory thing? If they've got short-term memory, they're not going to be thinking long-term about it's in my interest to jump through that hoop because further down the track I'll have a degree or I'll have this or I'll have that. You know, they don't look at long-term outcomes. They're in the now and the not now. So they're just in that moment. And therefore the language that uh, is used is really important too because we talk a lot about imperative language. Put your shoes on. Hurry up. Come on, get out of the shower. We've got to go. You know, that that stuff that's on that timeline that makes us rush and it makes us speak horribly, <laughs> makes us tell each other what to do. Come on, you finished the deadline? Can you hand it in, please? Yeah, can you put it in my locker? Yeah, that stuff. But if we change our language to one that's much more respectful but it's open-ended, and, um, you know, do you think you might get cold feet if you go outside? Is really different to put your shoes on. So a person who is neurodivergent will respond to, do you think you might get cold feet if you go outside? They'll respond to that. But if you say put your shoes on, there's an, no. Nah. Don't tell me what to do. Yeah, 100%. And uh, it's funny, the oppositional, you mentioned oppositional, that was... 100% me when I was in school as well like I would just have a go I would just go toe to toe with the teachers <laughs> often like yeah, they're yeah, yeah. telling me what to do like you know and I would just yeah and it's interesting and then but when you know I had great rugby coaches and they would just let me be me and let me they just I don't know obviously what they were thinking because I haven't asked them but I don't I had some coaches who tried to control me and like you say do this do this do this do this and I was just thinking yeah. fuck off and shut up yeah. and leave me alone and it just let me do it and I knew as well that I would get better results if they just did that like they mightn't have realized that but like you telling me what to do is not going to get the best out of me you need to let me do what I want to do and then once again as I said the best coaches I had they gave me, they helped me be the best version of myself. Like you say, like, do you think you get cold feet if you go out there? Like they might say, do you think if you attacked this way, you could get through the line? And then that would, would create more thoughts in my mind. So the best coaches gave, you know, just gave me more things to think about in that way versus telling me what to do. And it's something I just when you were chatting about learning in a school sense, I coach rugby now and I'm always kind of thinking about coaching and a big issue with coaching in general is when coaches talk too much, neurotypical, neurodivergent, whatever. But yeah, something 
Sometimes I think it's just, yeah, the way I would, and maybe this is my own biases, but the way I would verge on is giving less information, allowing them to learn, and then for the people who want more information, give them more information. So a mentor told me that my coaching style is guided discovery. So I have an idea of where we want to get to, and that can be collaborative for sure. But when I'm coaching, I'm, I'm creating scenarios, drills, games, which will allow them to discover for themselves how to do the things we want to do out on the field. It's not me telling them. And so I've been in, I've just been in these environments where it's like, this is, you know, do this, 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 and try to shut off and just like, let me out in the field. I'm sure there's many. So authoritarian doesn't work, eh? And it's really lovely you saying that because if you were to put that into neurodivergent terms, what you're also doing is through that open question, you are allowing a person that, I mean, and I'm not necessarily even speaking about on the field, but a person that has obsessive, you know, gets caught in obsession, it can be really hard for them to open out into new thinking. And as they say, it can be exhausting to just continually be thinking about one thing that is their their specific interest or obsession. Like rugby's got quite broad, it's got lots, but some people can get caught on just some really quite, uh, um, their special interests can become quite honed and quite narrow. And so working with the language to open it out and use suggestive declarative language, you know, um, how do you think you're going to contact me later rather than take your phone? You know, the difference makes a new neural pathway happen for that person. I love what you're saying about being on the rug- rugby field because what you're also doing is you're creating mana kite mana, you know, the equality between two people of working this out. One person's just feeding an option, but the other person's working it out for themselves. And it's just so, so great. And as you do that, it's a guidance. Recognizing too that so often people that are in these sorts of um, in sport or or musicians, if they're in playing a gig or whatever, they're often in a state of propulsion. Or it might be mountain climbers, people that just need to get up high is another one where they need to go up high and be way up there, looking down and having that sense of achievement of 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 getting up really really high. But with propulsion, there needs to be so much guidance because of that now and the not now. So that whole thing of being able to guide a person into getting there with safety or with, you know, um, all of the things required to keep that so that it is successful. But using the right language makes such a difference. I also think um, that spatial thing, you know, you're talking about being on the rugby field. See, I was never, I'm always a person that, you know, does individual stuff like I'm not so much a team sport player because I could never do that because I would say in that bell curve I was more an over responder as a as a teenager um I would flick into being hyperactive massively hyperactive but um and 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 out there and rude and loud but I actually think um 
the capacity of a person who is dyslexic is fascinating. If you think about dyslexia, so many of them can go into a room and have a perspective of the room from the other side of the room. So as they're walking in this way, they've got this coming to, they can see it from this way. You imagine doing that. You might be able to. It might be one of your gifts that you can see a room or from a bird's eye view, looking down, you imagine a game. And television's enabled a lot of people to be able to visualize that. You know, being able to go, imagine walking into a room and being able to see it from a top-down visual perspective of where everybody is. Is that easy for you? No, so what I, when you were speaking about this, <clears throat> I, like my intuition and sense, like when I was playing, like I my spatial awareness was very good. And like I could just see where people were when I wasn't looking at them. Like I, I would, a big thing in sport is scanning. So like scan. So like I would just yeah. look behind me, look forward, look left, look right. And then as the ball came, I would just know where they are. I would just feel where nice. they are. And yeah. then, and that's just, I don't know, intuition or feel. And nowadays when I, a big part of this as well was me like quote unquote, meditating or starting that. So about four years ago, I started doing that, like just stopping and slowing down and connecting to my breath and bringing awareness to the feelings within my body and just like feeling my body. And so living, it's something that will be, is great for everyone, but to live in your body and not your head. So mm. uh, the way you do this, you connect your breath and you feel your body. So like when you're just sta sitting here now, you feel your feet on the ground, you feel your back against the chair, you feel your arms resting. And so that process for me then allowed me to take a number of steps back and just be awareness so then now like when i i feel very much more skilled in just be, being aware so like aware of other people how they're feeling what they're um you know how they are how other people are so like if i go if i'm in a room like i can sense you know now this is crucial and this became some learning for me as my son was growing and I had to monitor how I was because when anxiety is happening for a person, when a person gets very, very anxious, they can neither hear, they can't hear you. If you try and say, hey, don't worry about it. And the, I've got, got to get it inside because the birds are going to, they're going to get me, I, I need someone's really upset they can't hear and they also can't even see what's going on and what we really work to do is to pull our energy into what you're talking about is to use our sense and create a radar or an energetic field between us and that other person for what we would like them to find so we don't jump into their energy and you know when you're saying that you sense people the thing I learned through, you know, through rearing my son was that he would have a sense of someone, absolutely, and not just in terms of their physical presence. But I began to realize that the use of his radar, we call it, 
was really, you know, the space in between him and other people was really, really strong because he wasn't looking at people and he wasn't able to hear, but he was doing, he was really working out what was going on around him through his radar. And I think that became a clue to me to, um, and, and I'd love to tell you an Oliver Sacks story from this, but it became a clue that this was actually like a sense that we're not talking about. We talk about sight and smell and auditory and touch and taste, proprioceptive, vestibular, but there's this other sense. So Oliver Sacks, I got fascinated with this story. He tells the story of a woman who was blind. At the age of three, she went blind. And technology enabled her to get her sight back when she was probably in her 40s. And getting her sight back was absolutely overwhelming. She couldn't stand it. It was, you know, there was focus, there was figure and ground, what was foreground, background, colour, lines, horizontal, depth perception, way too much, could not cope. And she got very overwhelmed and upset. And she went to... Oliver Sacks, who was her neurologist, he, I don't know if you've heard of Oliver Sacks. Oh, he's just got the most amazing, amazing books on all sorts of neurodiversity. And I'm happy to send you some links. But what happened was when she went to see him and said, I just don't like having my sight back. She said, the main reason I don't like having my sight back is that I have lost my most important sense and that is my sense of time. And I just went, that's it. These guys, our neurodivergent people, are much more activated in a sense that is about the space in between people. And it's because they're not using their visual, their vocal, their auditory, in the same way. They're really working this. And that became a key to me in how to be alongside a person who's anxious because we need to actually activate our sense because time is, you know, if you close your eyes and you walk along in a room, your sense of your, your space around you becomes really, really, it lifts up, you can feel it, you, you know what I mean, your sense of presence. So yeah, that, that was a really, really good clue for me for moving forward with how to be alongside a person who is whose parasympathetic isn't activating properly. Lots of info, eh? Yeah, and the time thing is, yeah. is interesting in that, like we mentioned before we came on about how some indigenous people didn't see time as linear and it's interesting I, I don't know a lot about this but I do know from reading Eckhart Tolle's books how you know the power of now <clears throat> how you know all we have or all that is is the present moment like there isn't a future there isn't a or there isn't a past yeah there are things that have happened but like it's just here it's just now and you know, animals kind of explain, like, I'm not going to butcher, but animals in the wild aren't thinking about the past or the future. They have within them, can they've evolved and then people or, or individuals evolve in a sense in that 
if something happens to you, you're going to be more wary. So if you walk down a certain street and you get beaten up on that street, whenever you come across another street that looks like that street, you'll start to, your body will have a reaction. So that's, yeah, your body is, is doing that. And it's not that you're thinking in your head about the past and what has happened. It's just a, an instinctive, intuitive reaction. And so, um, yeah, I think it's, I think it kind of, the more I hear about this or learn about this, that just the way the world is structured and it's capitalism is just does it an injustice to us because it's funny. I heard it before, like the fax machine came along and they said, Oh, this is going to cut down so much time. Then the <laughs> mobile phones came along. This is going to save us so much time. Emails came along. This is going to save us so much time. Uh, computers came along to, These, to get more present right <laughs> this is going to save us no so we'll be more productive we won't have to do as much work but more productive but also so give but, us more free time yeah, to be present but it's no. just not the case obviously and look you're older yeah. than me so you can remember but i can remember a time you know if i when i was a kid i don't believe people worked as hard or oh, sorry that that's people weren't as anxious definitely like you know like this no. i think people no. are just always switched on and anxious and and it's because of technology you know obviously not to say people didn't work hard of course people it did in the past but it's because of technology and there's a really lovely that we've had the opportunity we've been funded by foundation north to create a te ao maori perspective or reframe into what neurodiversity is looking like or takiwa tanga and you know with that looking in their own time and space. If we're to look at timelines, um, Dr. Rangi Matamoa speaks about um, over the time at Matariki, it's given Matariki and the celebration the, um, of that. Having made that like an official um, holiday has been great because it's given people more um, space and time to actually understand what it's about if we are if we are Pākehā, you know, to lean into this thinking and go, this is great. And years ago, I, um, well, first of all, I'll say Dr. Rangi Matumua, um, as he spoke, he talked about in westernised timelines, we have really been given a time frame from the other side of the world that really is about the sun and it's past, present, future, but it's a bit about, you know, seconds, minutes, days, weeks, years, but it sits on this line. And actually, if we really look at how the how the time can be measured or um, and or how we understand time, if we look in Te Ao Māori perspective, they are looking at the moon, they're looking at the sun, and they're looking at the stars and integrating that into a different type of calendar that has times when the alignment of all three of these, with their connection to nature, they, they know and can read this. And it means that they look at time in a way that is, there are certain times just before the slither of the new moon, where is a, is a time called fero. And the time of fero is a time where this is when the fish go under the rocks. This is when every there's no fishing to be done. This is when you stay home. This is when you don't go out and try and get anything done because it won't happen. And then there's other times when it's all flow and go, you know. And um, 
I think that time's called wrong, but it's not completely, this isn't completely my knowledge. I have people in my team that are holding this information and, and they know it because it's theirs to hold. But, um, but isn't it great? Because that means that up in Titai Tokoro, they have schools that are completely adhering to their own Māori calendar so that they will have federal days where they don't do. And they are changing up how they are doing stuff so that they are working in basically with nature and their reading of nature. And I think a big part of what's happening with our young people here and more and more of them are coming in with neurodiversity is that they're bringing in a change and they're bringing in a thinking that's pulling us back to nature. And while a lot of them are on their devices and stuff yet and they're uncomfortable, this will come because so many of our young people do not, they don't, they won't go with the inauthenticity of the society we have at the moment. Then they won't buy it and they get, nah, I'm not doing that. Or it's too much for me. It might be a different response. It might not be oppositional. It might be just overwhelm. But what I like about this is also is that the back in time, let's go back 200 years, and the, and the elders, you know, and, and this comes from someone I know, Tukairangi, who is on our team, and he's spoken to me about what his nan has taught him. And he spoke to me, we had this beautiful kōrero around the the thing of the elders would look at any young child that's born and they would look to see what are the gifts that this child brings and into our whanau. And it's a really interesting thing because you might have a child that doesn't sleep at night and the child's still awake and it'll be, ah, this kid's so difficult, won't go to sleep, da 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 we're going to need to do the sleep program and da 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 Whereas back in time, it would have been, ah, this, this baba is looking at the skies. They probably think in pictures. They are mapping. They know the coding and they're able to look at the same way as you've got that spatial awareness around you when you're on the field and you know who's behind you and who's not. It's a spatial sense. And it might be the child who in this day and age is overwhelmed at the mall because all the colours are so fake and so bright and these flickering lights to back in time that child's sensory perception and hypersensory perception for color might have been the person that would see the fuchsia berries flowering on the bush over there way over there and go the fuchsia berries are flowering and the the berries are ready for picking do you see so we've we've pulled out of what were gifts and we pulled out of the kid that won't sit still in the classroom would lead the haymaking team. He'd be the one. He'd be up there or she. They'd be up there and they'd, they'd be on it and they'd know how to, or on the horse, do you see? So we're taking our kids away from these other abilities. And I think we're in a turnaround now. And I'm fascinated by how many adults are now going, I actually, like you, I think I, think I might be neurodivergent because... I get, I get what this is. And every actor who comes to work with us will say, hey, Sue, can I have a word after we've started doing the work? I actually think that's possibly me. I, I, I actually think maybe I'm neurodivergent. And we go, I go, well, of course you are. I would hope you are. 
because actually that means that you're super creative and you think outside the box, which means you don't do mob mentality. And we don't want to do mob mentality, do we? Well, I don't. No, me neither. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And maybe some people do and they're comfortable with that. I but let's make space for how people want know, to be. it's funny because I think some people do in that. I remember a friend of mine saying like after COVID, like, oh, I just really enjoy just being in the office and just going in and having the routine and just, you know, and to me, what he was explaining was hell. But he, he I, I was trying to like see through, I was trying to be, like, I was actually, you know, observing. I was like, is he just saying this because he has to go back or, and he didn't actually have to go back. It was a choice, but is he just like, is he just saying this? And like, I actually got a sense that he did like getting up at whatever time, going into the office, sitting at a desk, and then going home at five o'clock. And I was just Monday to Friday. And I was just like, I, I was like, ah, oh, it actually, he's just so different to me. <laughs> yeah. There's diversity, right? Yeah. And no one's right and no one's wrong. And so all the, you know, we, I mean, another thing we went through through the COVID thing was the diversity of people in their, you know, in their views or beliefs about things and the, and the separation, the polarization is incredibly value, valuable for us to have seen, for us to actually go, actually, we are all really different mm. and there's diversity again, but in that it's this, it, it's re, it was really useful for me to watch because then I could go, ah, all this polarization and right and wrong and judgment and blame actually applies into neurodiversity where we need to go, hey, so that person loves being in the office and that person doesn't, you know, and to make that space. And, and that was a really good way of figuring out, you know, what people's different sensory needs are. You know, supermarkets became a tricky place too because they were authoritarian. They weren't easy for our um, those in Takiwatanga to to go into those spaces and feel like they were having rules around them when actually they avoided that, and 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 that was interesting too. So, I think also there's other things that can really hit in with anxiety, um, the special interest, um, and. Or you could call it a specific interest because as soon as you say special interest, it's putting it into a category of almost having sort of a flavour of being particularly, might have a um, a special needs aspect to it, which we want to lift out of. There's nothing wrong with having specific needs, but it's something that kids would tease others about or whatever. Yeah, but young, if a person has a specific interest... Hey? When I was young, people yeah, used to say yeah. they're special and it was like, yeah, not Yeah, yeah, and that's where I'm I, – so I'll say a specific interest. Yours is rugby. You know, mine is neurodiversity at the moment, but it, I could say it's music or I could – you know, we, people have different – some people can have some and it brings them a soother. So say you've got a kid that loves to be on their skateboard in the wind and that's how they calm down. And there they are at school and they get anxious about something and they gap it from school. And the teachers are going, how do we do something about this to stop? We can't restrain the kid, but he keeps gapping it. 
So they set up a sensory room with an exercycle in it and a fan. So he had the wind on his face and he was in motion to actually bring himself into a regulation if he was about to have a meltdown. And, you know, however you might do, I would definitely consult with whoever that person is. But in the work environment, you can do the same thing. Or if you're coaching people in the rugby field, there might be someone that might have something where they go, I just need to be alone for a minute and I need silence. So I'm kind of also talking to teachers about creating a coding for the entire classroom, which might be, it just might be a six. We're at level six now. You know, this person's at level six. That means let's all go silent for 10 minutes. You can read, you can write something. If you need to move, you can sit on that Swiss ball or that whatever over there, but no one's going to talk for 10 minutes. We're just going to go into quiet so that everyone can just go, but it's collective. It's not that weirdo over there is about to have a meltdown. It's there's a sensory need in the room and we're going to change something, something sensory in this room so that they have the opportunity. And it's usually auditory. Yeah, it's interesting you say that. And I was speaking to my mum a year, or two, I don't know, a while back. And we were talking about mindfulness and just this idea. And I was chatting to her about it and how kids need to be taught in school. And I was just bringing awareness to your breath and just being able to relax, like help being able to relax for maybe the reasons you're saying so that, you know, that people don't get overwhelmed or whatever. And mom said something really interesting. And in Ireland, there's a thing which I remember doing. And mom said that her mom was her teacher and she did it which is called Cheakala, and it means it's the Irish or Gaelic words for go to sleep. And so the teacher would say to us, like, oh, Cheakala, everyone. Um, and we would all just put our arms out and then put our heads on our arms and literally, like, go to sleep. That's and it. Exactly. And we would, like, and that's, that's like, it. that's what mindfulness is, or that's what, you know, this big word, like, whatever. But that's what it is, is, you know, a teacher, those teachers would have and i'm sure it's still been done maybe just i don't know but those teachers when i was going through primary school would have had a a good understanding of their class to know that when some people are acting up or they've lost control of the class to just to do that you know or something i can't remember the reasons but yeah so there's two things there the, the the first thing is yeah you can do that and that might work if we're heading and and here we get back to the gut and we get back to Use your instinct. Yeah. Once we have a collective non-judgmental understanding of what might be happening when a person or a number of people are anxious, then we can either say, we can either do the go to sleep or imagine that kid coming into the classroom going, hey, yeah, yeah, in the onesie. I've got this on, you know, because the principal asked me to wear it because this is going to be the new uniform for all the cool kids next year or whatever, you know, being the smart ass. But actually the teacher could join that and appreciate that and uphold that person in their anxiety and go, hey, doesn't matter that you're late. We're just glad to see you, but just get yourself some popcorn, get some water when you're ready to join. But hey, that's a funny costume. And join with humour. There's different ways, and it's so about 
who the who the person is and who's actually overloading at the time. And also it could be the teacher overloading, get that. You know, because we just said, let that person come in, let them cause the havoc and everyone have a good explosion of laughter and then we can get back to where we were. And another teacher would say, yeah, but we'd never get back to where we were because we've got five of those in the class. So it's how to find the measure, but starting to get much more organic with how we relate to each other. Eh? It's so funny <clears throat> that you mentioned that about your example of someone in a onesie and whatever. And when you mentioned that first, I was kind of in my, I kind of just thought, oh, that's a bit ridiculous. But I, I get it. And then I thought back just when you're saying it again, how, a bit ridiculous and that mightn't really happen but when I was in high school and anyone who's in my class in Ross Girl remember there was someone who used to call himself the black ninja and he used to wear a black uh, he used to put on his his jacket zip it up to the top and have a balaclava and then used to run in <laughs> to the class and be like the black ninja's that's it. here that's the same and he'd thing. start going like berserk and start like acting up and everyone would start like laughing and do you know what's so funny as well is that we used to, But what would the teacher do? Uh, the teachers would be pissed off because he was a troublemaker. But let me finish. That's so, the change point. I'll tell you something interesting. And I don't know if we have time to, to... This is a whole new area. But something that I once again sussed out, perceived, understood was that we used to call them the ADD kids. And like right or wrong like and it's funny I, I think I have ADHD now but I wasn't that type of person I was never like look at me I'm the black ninja or anything the furthest thing from it but the other kids the other lads who were like that used to hate each other they all hated each other yeah so there was yeah in my year of 40 there is a very small school there's there was three definites and maybe a fourth who is a bit more of the and a not politically correct, but we a bit dopey. So you know the people who said low sensory, who just like are a bit like spaced out all the yeah, time. Yeah, they're the ADDs, and yeah. they're very they're very clever. But yeah, you just gotta exactly. you just gotta catch their curiosity. So, it's a stimulus. So it's something not there's a there's a gateway neural gateway that's not opening up as quickly. But once it opens, they're right on. Yeah, just gotta say funny, that. Funny yeah, you say that because yeah, there are there are th three or four of those, or five of them, more of them, but. We used to say it's like, geez, he's really spaced out and dopey, but he's actually smart. Anyway, but the the hyperactive yeah, ones, it. the hyperactive ones, there were three or four of them. And I could tell it was funny that they used to hate when one of them would go in and do their act and get loads of laughs and attention. The other ones would be fuming. And then they would talk to, I would say, not I'm saying us, but the rest of us who weren't in that bracket would say like he's a fucking idiot that fella and it's like yeah, and each yeah, of them yeah, would yeah, say yeah. it each of them would say it to us about each other you know like but and i'd nearly be like no no you're just you're just pissed because he's getting the attention that you love getting yeah yeah and yet they're not attention seeking but what's happening is that those guys are probably getting triggered into their own anxiety because they know what that excitement is um my son used to say there's a fine line between excitement and terror and that will happen you know like with things like say you're doing some sort of a physical risk taking and um and there's a moment where you realize you've got yourself in a situation where actually this isn't very safe at all and this is quite dangerous. And how am I going to get out of this situation? 
I'm in trouble now. And the same thing will happen with kids when they're out at night, late at night. They might might be really high up on a bridge and they suddenly they can't get down. And they're stuck. And they've climbed all the way up there to watch the trucks go at two in the morning. And then suddenly they shoot. Oh no, how are we going to? Or the the outcomes that happen where they're in trouble with the cops because they were spray painting or whatever. But I don't know how much time we've got, but I think it's really important to talk about the power. How much time have we got? I have to go. Yeah, like now yeah, in the next yeah. minute or two. Okay, Sorry. so I'll just, uh, that's okay. Yeah, I get it. That's fine. So I'm going to just, I'd like to finish because what we're talking about there is survival defense behaviors. And we have, you know, all the different survival defense, fight, flight, freeze, but the fake, oh, no, I'm fine. Don't worry, I'm fine. He didn't mean to hit me with the ball on purpose. <laughs> I'll just get on with the game. Don't worry about me, that kind of one. Or there's also the the the, the jester, as we talked about, or the fool in Shakespearean terms, the fool, the jester who tells the truth, which is the one we've been talking about a bit. But there's ways to find the inside voice of those people and how to connect in with them so that they're not always in that state and feeling that that's the only place that they can sit in, and that actually we start to find them coming into their, we talk about an outside voice. What's the outside voice? And we start to, ah, that person's using their outside voice, but what's the inside voice? But to reframe some of this, we can go, a person could be called hyperactive, or you could say that they've got endless energy. A person could be argumentative or they could be free-spirited. Inflexible or stubborn could become committed and loyal. Irritable, and that's often with the person who's an over-responder, could be sensitive and aware. And you can have a daydreamer can form any mental picture that they choose. You know, so there's different ways of how we view this to take out that judgment because so many of these kids that are coming through now and there's a rush of them and what they're doing is they're activating people's realisation of the neurodiversity that exists in adults. And just to close off, I'd like to say that so many of them aren't actually built for the world that we're living in right now and they're coming in as disruptors, as change makers. And they're coming into their families and they're, they're creating big rumble. And the people in the family, because of that unconditional love, they're having to shift around and move. But what I'm finding is that educators and health workers, they're all, all moving now too. People want to know. They really, really want to know what's going on. But what we're getting is that they're not broken and there's nothing to fix. And they're our objective observers and they're showing us absolutely what we're all putting ourselves through in terms of overload, in terms of all the judgment and blame and how we connect with other people about the fact, as you say, we're not breathing in a way that we could be. We're not connecting to nature. So they serve a huge purpose for this next bit of time. And, you know, we look at our... Um, all of our books, all of the stuff, you know, New Earth and, um, you know, The Power of Now, they are bringing us to want to find those spots because in their discomfort, we're having to find something else in ourselves. 
Cheers for listening into the pod today. If you're new to the pod, welcome. Be sure to check out some earlier episodes and subscribe wherever you're listening so that you get the new episodes when they're released. In my mid-twenties, I began studying the mind and that led me to playing the best rugby in my life and enjoying it so much all the time, like regardless of results. Whereas when I was younger, there were highs and lows and it felt uncertain, like I was on a roller coaster. But then when I began developing and harnessing my mind, it felt like I'd absolutely cracked the code. Now I work one-on-one with players and yes, I help you overcome challenges and we do mental skills work so that you can consistently perform at your peak. But I also help you expand your mind and grow as a person. You know the way you often feel like you have more in you. You have more to express. You have more to bring. And it kind of gets frustrating when, yes, you're getting some results, but you know you have more inside you. I help you bring that out. Every single player that I've worked with one-on-one for over 12 months has made a team that they didn't think they could make in that time and or signed a new increased contract that way more than covered the investment that they made in themselves for the one-on-one coaching. If you're a player or coach and would like to learn more, head over to offfieldrugby.com now and book your free 30-minute Zoom consultation with me. Through this podcast, I want to help millions of people live happier, more fulfilled and more successful lives because I absolutely know that it's possible. If you want to be an absolute legend now and help me out, there's three things you can do. First is to share the pod. You can send it on some friends, share it on social media and simply just tell people about it. Second, you can leave a rating and a review wherever you're listening now. On Apple Podcasts, when you click into the pod, you can scroll down and there's an option to leave a review and up to a five-star rating. And on Spotify, when you click into the pod, on the left-hand side, you'll see a little star. You can click on that and then leave up to a five-star rating again. And third thing, lastly, just make sure you're subscribed wherever you're listening. Those three things, sharing the pod, leaving a rating and a review and subscribing really really help the podcast grow helps us help more people so thank you so so much please connect with me over on social media instagram is at brian moylet at offfield rugby linkedin is brian moylet and any thoughts questions feedback please let me know i would love to hear from you thanks emil for listening today i really really appreciate it Be good to yourself, get after it, and I will see you next week. Cheers.